Hey, you listening to this podcast right now. Did you ever think, man, there's so many kick-ass market research podcasts. I wish there was some sort of an award for them so I could vote for my favorite. Well, you're in luck. In partnership with Greenbook, Little Bird Marketing is excited, well, actually ecstatic, to announce the first ever annual Market Research Podcast Award. Nominate your favorite Insights Industry podcast from now until February 15th. From February 16th until March 31st, vote for your favorite podcast in the Insights Industry and bestow upon them the title of MR Podcast of the Year. Don't forget, Submissions are due for nomination by February 15th, and the winner will be announced on April 15th at Greenbook's IIEX North America in Austin, Texas. Visit littlebirdmarketing.com forward slash MR hyphen podcast hyphen award. Welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. My guest today is Steve August. He is a transformational business coach. He helps founders scale and realize their full potential. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's a digital artist and a maker with two successful exits. And you're going to hear a little bit more about that story. It's pretty awesome. But he has experienced the highs and lows of startup life. Can I get an amen out there? Amen. (laughs) He's taken a tour around the C-suite, and he continues to explore ideas that basically don't let him sleep at night. Also, he's just a very cool guy. So welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, Steve August. Thanks, Priscilla. Great to be here. Yeah, it's been fun getting to know you. And and actually through uh, a lot of colleagues that we had in common, we we didn't really figure out how we hadn't met each other yet. It it seemed really odd. Yes. It's like how many times must our paths have crossed, Uh you know, without like two ships sailing in the night without actually seeing and, and starting to interact, but I'm glad we have. It's yeah. been, been really wonderful getting to know you. Well, absolutely. And we, we did have a good time um, recently with the backdrop of the beautiful harbor of Boston. We did, yeah. <laughs> that was a great great event. <laughs> great event, and the view was yeah. just absolutely spectacular. So, well, what's really fun is that I talk with a lot of people in market research. I talk with a lot of people in marketing, but a lot of times I get calls um, or emails about the uh, about the podcast, and people really want to hear more from entrepreneurs and that startup. And even you know, we've had people on about you know the exit plan and 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 selling, and it is really a, a topic of interest. So we're going to dig into a little bit of that about your story, and of course we'll in. We'll tell people what you're doing right now with the coaching and, and really the vision that you have for that. But but tell everybody a little bit in your own words about your journey to actually exit after you had worked so hard to be that founder. Tell us tell us that nutshell. Right. Yeah. So it's a it's a, a tawdry story full of <laughs> highs and lows. And, uh, you know, uh, it's funny. I was watching on the airplane home uh, from the bo- event in Boston we both attended recently, uh, a lot of the musical biopics. So it was like Elton John and and, and Freddie Mercury, and it was mm-hmm. like you know that classic. You, you know they go in and they're they're innocent and <laughs> they they're shy, and all of a sudden they get the success, and then everything goes off the rails. Right. Uh, so I'd like to think it's exactly like that. Right. Uh, That's funny. You were watching that on the way back. I watched The Prophet. The, oh, there the, we go. Yeah, the guy who goes in and fixes you know uh, businesses and really gets down to brass tacks. So it's kind of funny. I think we I think we probably have, like think on the same. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's just the two different uh, two different takes on the on the same journey. Yeah. But my journey was uh, sort of an accidental entrepreneur's journey. Like I didn't I didn't 
set out after graduating from college to be an entrepreneur. I was doing all kinds of random creative things. I was um, doing video documentary. I was in a band. I was getting involved with multimedia CD-ROM when that was the next big thing. So people wow. have an uh, approximate just... sense of how old I am. <laughs> you just dated yourself, Steve. I did, right? <laughs> and I was at Web 1.0 when that happened and, and business intelligence uh, 1.0 when that happened, when everybody started to say, hey, we got all these databases and maybe they should talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way I ended up getting into becoming an entrepreneur was 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 fairly accidental the um the circumstance was that uh i had met my my wonderful wife and she happened to be in market research she was a design researcher and early on was doing ethnography you know back in the the mid and late 90s when it was really finally starting to to take the place it should and in 2002 our child was born and we, I was working at a museum exhibit design company in Oakland, California, which was a wonderful job, but paid not very well. Mm-hmm. And my wife's business paid very well and because she was quite good at it. And so we made her business the family business. Mm-hmm. And so I came on and I was sort of the marketing guy and the tech support guy and the, you know, just the, the, guy, the guy Friday, mm-hmm. essentially just supporting and, and, and the stay at home dad. And which was, you know, amazing. I would, I really loved that, that that's how it, how it unfolded. So a lot of times my wife would do ethnographies and before these ethnographies, visiting people at home, she would go down to Kinko's at the time, right. And put together these elaborate paper diaries. And then she would FedEx these diaries out to the participants. And then they would fill out the diaries for a certain portion of time before she showed up to do the, her observations and interviews mm-hmm. in home. And the whole point was that she could understand what was going on over time and while she wasn't there. And as I watched her doing this, I was like, we have these things called blogs that have just come out and they seem like <laughs> the equivalent of what you're trying to do. This you know, might paper become a thing. <laughs> right. And I'm like, web diary, paper diary, maybe we can make this a little easier. And uh, so we started playing with that, and I had you know enough technical background to take some off-the-shelf blogging software and say maybe we can just you know do this pre-work online and see if people will post and what they'll share, and that will you know you'll know going into the interview what it is that you might be interested in knowing more about, and it'll be easier. You'll have all the information, mm-hmm. and so we we started doing that, and it worked really well. In fact, it worked so well that. We're like, wow, they're, sh- they're sharing a lot of things. Like, they're sharing things we didn't even think they were going to share. <laughs> uh, and it was early on. So there was a legit question of, like, what are, pe- are people actually going to be honest and, and share what they're, what they're doing? And it turned out we were blown away by it. And so we started presenting at these research conferences and saying, hey, this is what we're doing. It's kind of cool. And here's what we discovered. And here's this really, really amazing moment that, that we captured. And people started coming up to us after the after we would speak and say, wow, that, that is really cool. Um, we'd love to use that. Can we use that? And I, I said, well, you, you could, but you wouldn't want to. I mean, it, it, you really had to be very technical to make this thing work. And, um, and there wasn't any tools at the time that did this. There was basically Bolton board software, and it was just not the same thing. It was, mm-hmm. it was a totally different way of thinking about how you're going to put qualitative research online. Instead of replicating a, a room, we wanted to basically extend our 
our view out into people's lives and their experiences, mm-hmm. which ultimately I think is the mission, right? Of understand right. people to answer business questions. Mm-hmm. So, but I thought, you know, I'm technical enough. I could probably figure out how to get this done. And so that's, that's where the journey started. And we also saw that we were in a service company that we weren't, we weren't really like keen to scale. Like we didn't want to have a bunch of people working under us. It wasn't in the model that we wanted to do, but we saw that the software side of things had that potential to scale. And so that's where we started to step forward and and start to make that happen. Well, it is a little bit hard to kind of go back in time and couch the what you were creating in a time when people really were curious about whether people would tell the truth online. You hit on that just a little bit, but that was a huge issue. Like our you know the, the whole you know market research world is trying to understand com- consumer behavior, consumer sentiment, you know, and then also like trying to pull out the pieces of where consumers lie to you when they're talking to you about what their behaviors are, but then they walk in the store and do something else. So there's all these, all these, you know, different thoughts swirling around and then up pops this ability to really from the privacy of your own home and the safety or perceived safety and security or privacy, you know, of your own computer and, and, and putting in a quote unquote diary, then the question is much bigger. Now, will people truly be honest about you know, is there no positioning? Is there no rethinking? Is there no restructuring of, you know, their true opinion or their true sentiment? And I think it is really understated because now it really seems obvious to people. And we've come up with a lot of ways, you know, since then to, you know, gauge for true sentiment. But back when you're talking about this was a whole new conversation. Yeah, this was 2004, 2005, where we did our first test study. We called it the Parenthood Project because we had recently become parents. And we had other friends who had become parents before us. And they had sort of disappeared from our social lives. And we're like, what the heck happened? Mm -hmm. You know, and we're still young and, you know, young married couple in San Francisco. And our our friends suddenly couldn't do anything anymore. And we're like, what the heck? They're living in a different world. And then we had our kid and we're like, oh. Oh, that's why they disappeared. Right. So what did this company actually become? What was the name of it? It was uh, called Revelation. And I know it well from the lore. (laughs) But tell the audiences that aren't familiar with it, what what really, so it became a software system. Now, what was it subscription-based or not? Well, that was an interesting question. So it was an online platform. It was a qualitative research platform. And instead of it replicating focus groups rooms, what it did was it allowed you to create different kinds of activities for your participants to do out in their their real world. Mm-hmm. So keep a diary, do a photo journal, um, do uh, metaphor elicitation exercises. So it was the first activity-based online qualitative research platform mm-hmm. that was created. And it was definitely a, a big leap in terms of the thinking and what was possible in, at that point. Mm-hmm. And so... You asked if it was a subscription, uh, a SaaS software, mm-hmm. and in a way it was, and in a way it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And the way, in the way it was, is that it was a hosted platform that you could conceivably create a subscription around. The thing that prevented that from happening was qualitative research is not an ongoing day-to-day thing; it is episodic. Mm-hmm. It happens when it happens, and I early on discovered that no matter how low a price you charge for a subscription, if somebody wasn't using it during that month, they felt like they were paying for something they, they, they weren't using. Gotcha. And so I, 
some of the innovation there was how do we create greater connection and stickiness with our customers while not being able, like, without the subscription model really mm-hmm. being something that works. And we actually came up with this idea of participant days. So people bought a block of, of participant days, nice. uh, credit usage credits, basically, yeah. and they got a better deal. Mm-hmm. And that's how we actually early on got like, you know, we got a $60,000 contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way we could have made that happen was sort of to, to adjust our business model. Right. Well, th- that's so that's so listening to your consumer and understanding the market research field, which obviously comes from your wife being in it. And then, you know, really building it from the ground up that that um, that still having the actual connection to the purpose of the software, because now you see a lot of software companies come out there and they create these ones and then they get adapted, you know, to different fields but they didn't come up from that original industry. And so they don't necessarily understand, you know, the underpinnings of that industry or, or in your case, like how do brand insight, you know, directors work? Like what the, the whole idea that their work is episodic, you know, would take another company a long time to figure out. But you being in the industry, it kind of seemed like maybe that was a natural next step for the payment platform at least. Yeah. And that was the, and that's part of the journey, right? Is when you, you have this idea, you have some initial interest and then you take it out to market. And each time you try to scale it, you run into these, these challenges, uh, that force you to take, take stock and figure out how do you adapt and, and how do you overcome that challenge? Well, yeah. give me a, an example. That's a great example of a key moment where you really adjusted the payment, um, in order to scale. Can you think of another key moment that now, as you look back, of course, hindsight being 2020, you know, you look back, what was really a key moment that maybe you didn't perceive to be a key moment when you were in the middle of it? Oh man, there's so many <laughs> it's called key the, moments. You know, it's, it's not, to... you call it a roller coaster. I call it the stunning discomfort of entrepreneurship. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to look at it. You know how some people say, oh, it's not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I'm like, no, it's like a steeplechase. Like you are jumping up or hurdles, you're going through puddles and why not? And people are probably shooting at you at the same time. That's what entrepreneurship is. <laughs> That's the field. <laughs> so will this become a sport? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, it has on sort of a grand scale. Right, for uh, sure. So, yeah, so for key moments, there's, I mean, there's so many key moments as I look back on that uh, are so obvious now. I'm trying to think if there was a key moment um, let's talk that I didn't realize the, at the time. Yeah, let's talk around the sale. Like, what what was the aha? Like, what got you to even think about exiting? What What, what triggered that? Okay, so when we think about the exit and, and then run up to that, so so that I think actually started in like 2012, 2011, 2012, because in 2011 and 2012, I almost drove the thing entirely into the ditch and <laughs> through the ditch and over the cliff. Like we had a stunning quarterly loss at the end of the year. My employee number one, best friend, and um, like soul of the company decided after five years it, he was good, he was going to go on for another opportunity like it, we were at a a really pivotal moment mm-hmm. uh and i was uh, you know really starting to burn out uh and that was the moment i realized i shouldn't necessarily be the operational manager of the company mm-hmm. like i had exceeded my my skill set yeah uh or desire to 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 work that role mm-hmm. and it's something i see in a lot of a lot of companies that i that i work with with visionary founders um is that that's a different role and um and so i brought somebody in who helped me clean house? Fortunately, we had we had money in the bank, so we weren't uh, we were able to pull out and 
um, recover and get on a good course again and get mm-hmm. focused and, and know where we were going. Mm-hmm. And in 2013, uh, so we were going along, but we're still what we what we were seeing is like as a classic kind of middle tier uh, business issue is like you have your initial growth and then it plateaus, and now you've got to figure out how to get up to that next level. And if and usually and usually it's through sales or through funding, and you need either the funding to to hire the salespeople. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the funding isn't necessarily there for you at that moment, if you don't have the story to sell the funding, then you're in this kind of cycle of like, okay, we've got to slowly, you know, inch it up. And it was, it's challenging as anybody who's ever hired salespeople and managed salespeople <laughs> knows it's, it's a non-trivial task. Right. And, uh, so in 2013, uh, we were going along and things were, were going pretty well. Uh, and I was at a conference and I, I had met, um, Eric Grogrosiet, who was the CEO of Focus Vision, who I knew from uh, a while back. And he, he and I had, you know, had been friendly. And uh, he mentioned at this conference that, that Focus Vision had just been bought by another private equity company, and they were looking for acquisitions. And mm-hmm. I kind of put it in my back pocket and said, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. I wasn't really thinking about, like, okay, I want to do that. Right. Uh, but a few months later, there was a, a VC that was kicking around and looking at us. And I thought, you know, I don't want, um, I don't want to have just one iron in the fire. So I called Eric up and said, "Hey, you know, maybe we should talk." And as we started to talk, we started to realize that there was actually a fit hmm. because Focus Vision didn't have a platform like Revelation, and it was something that it very much would fit into what they wanted to build their business around in the qualitative space. And Revelation had you know global customers and we were trying to support that from portland oregon mm-hmm. and which is not the most uh, helpful time zone to be in <laughs> when you're supporting right. people all over the world yeah and it's so also not we, the best airport to be in when you're trying to support people all over the world either yeah you know i mean it's uh, an international airport but you know you you when you're just even thinking about a trip to new york that's a haul yeah yeah, yeah there's there's distance right yeah, yeah. uh and so and what we really needed was we needed a ton more salespeople, and we needed uh, a service footprint that was global. And we didn't have that, and we weren't the only way we were going to build that is either by I, I realized we were either going to get it by selling part of the company, or selling all of the company, or slowly, slowly, you know, grinding our way to it. Mm-hmm. And at that point, where I looked around and I said, "What's going to be the best outcome for what revelation?" is supposed to do right. in the world. Right. Like this this platform needs to grow and the resources and my ability to manage it, manage it if I was being honest with myself, had kind of tapped out mm-hmm. at that stage of my life. I was like, okay, it needs sales, it uh, resources, it needs service resources, it needs um, a next level up of operational expertise. So a lot of entrepreneurs get themselves here. They say, well, where I want to go, you know, what got me here won't get me to the next place. But some people, so you're looking at VC, you know, money, and then you're looking at selling, and then there's this um, outside fantasy that I'd like for you to just to pop the bubble for us. Mm-hmm. There's this outside fantasy that you're just going to, you know, walk up to, to this, you know, potential partner, they're going to hand you all the money, and then you're going to walk away into the sunset. So tell us the, the, the really what happened in between, should I go VC, should I sell, and what mm-hmm. happens in that quote-unquote moment of exit? Right. So, yeah, once you get to the point where you're like, okay, there's something to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we stepped back and said, okay, we're going to run a process. Mm -hmm. I brought the guy in who helped me um, turn around the company because he had also done M&A work. Mm -hmm. And and that was like a pivotal moment. And and I'll say this for anybody who's considering exit is you really need somebody on your team who's been through it, who knows how to do it. Because if you do it on your own, there are so many levers to pull, so many different nuances, so many different opportunities to go and get more value for your company Mm -hmm. that it is crucial that you bring in somebody who knows what they're doing. You will pay them right. and they will they will earn it. <laughs> well, are, are there a few of those key people you care to mention who, I mean, I think for a lot of people listening, they are in the MR world and, you know, would like to know, like, the caliber of who? Who helped you get this done? Uh, well, the guy I used was a, a guy who actually wasn't even in the market research world. He just knew our business and knew how to run this process. And mm-hmm. this is a, a guy named uh, Jonathan Maine. Um, there's a number of people in the industry that are, are more and more specialized. I know Cambiar does it. I know uh, Oberon and uh, Seema Vasa and Kristen Luck are starting to do those these types of, of M&A advisement. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really important that you have somebody. Right. And because the process as it unfolds is the last thing you want to do is have somebody come to you and then just be in this one-to-one conversation. Mm-hmm. So if somebody comes to you says, oh, we're interested, you have to decide, okay, are you for sale or you're not for sale? Or if you're not for sale, then this is, this is going to be one of the most distracting things you can possibly do for a company. <laughs> like, there are very few things that are more distracting than going through this this exit process. And it is really hard to keep the team, you focused, the team focused, and everything executing the way, even to the level that you, you were doing it before. Uh, and so... What we did then was we ran a process. So we made a list of all the people, all the other companies who might be interested in Revelation who could see it. And we were looking, obviously, for strategic fits, but we were open to financial buyers as well. But usually you'll get more value out of a strategic buyer. We talked with a number of them. We got interest from a number of them. And then we did a roadshow. We went out. We, we met with them. We presented what we we're about, and then we, including Focus Vision, and then we... Uh, said, okay, we're going to take uh, offers at this particular date. And the offers came in, and uh, Focus Vision was the best one. And so we went into the next phase, which is like you haggle back and forth on the <laughs> offer. Yeah, right? it's, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, because there's so many levers uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how much are we talking about? What does it consist of? How much, What is the timing of the money coming through? Mm-hmm. And what are the... What are the requirements for the leadership team afterwards what you know what metrics and milestones do they have to do? is there an earnout period is there there was just so many other kind of levers uh, and this is it was just so eye-opening to see see this process and then that takes a few months and just to get to the the letter of intent the, the LOI and then once you get to the LOI like it's not over right it's still <laughs> just getting started you you now have to do the due diligence phase so basically, they're going to go and say the LOI is based on the premise that everything everybody is saying is true. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stretch, but good. <laughs> go go forth. <laughs> right. With the, with the clear assumption that we're going to check the hell out of this and, right, and, right. and work to find the things that aren't true. And the, the buyer's trying to knock the number down and the seller's trying to, like, keep the number up and um, – and defend the number and, and get the best turns or, you know, even possibly increase it if there's, if there's a way to do that. Mm-hmm. And so it is, what do I, I call it? The, uh, the corporate uh, version of, of a rectal examination. <laughs> <laughs> I may be impolite. It's, 
it's not necessarily the most pleasant process. Uh, and or as Chevy Chase would say, Moon River. River. Yes, exactly. I love that. Yeah, that that reference. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So um, so we go through that, and we finally um, we finally get to the point. Where, like, yeah, it's a good. We're we're set. We're good. Yeah. We've we've haggled everything mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that we could possibly haggle. Yeah. Uh, and again, another reason to n- have somebody else leading it is because you also have to work with the people that are going to acquire you. Mm-hmm. So uh, having somebody who can really be the bad cop mm-hmm. um, and give you kind of air cover so the relationship stays good is is, a, is another another helpful part of that relationship right, in my right. my perspective. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about this show's sponsor. After a dynamic event in Denver, Insights Marketing Day is back and headed across the pond. Insights Marketing Day London is a one-day event packed full of industry-leading speakers providing essential tips and tools to improve your company's marketing. From social to web, blogging to podcasting, we'll cover a range of topics that need to be addressed for a successful, comprehensive, and interconnected marketing plan. We'll talk big picture with strategy and annual content calendars down to the granular level micro actions so you leave informed and inspired, ready to change your marketing actions. Insights Marketing Day London will be in the heart of London on January 30th. You don't want to miss this event. Visit insights-marketing.org and use code PERCH, that's P-E-R-C-H, at checkout for 20% off your ticket price. See you there. So having gone through that whole journey, what, like looking back, what what do you feel like you learned? Because, and, and tell me a little bit too about it's not like everything changed overnight. It's not like they're even with after all of that, you know, evaluation from the letter of intent. Really, even once that sale is done, there's still more work to to be done. And it's not this clean cut thing. Well, it depends on the, the terms of your deal. For me, so uh, we started talking in June of 2013. We signed the deal and closed on May 30th, 2014. Mm-hmm. Just to give everybody a sense of how long right. it, it can take. And mm-hmm. Some deals go faster, but mm-hmm. that's how fast our deal went. Mm-hmm. Um, and you almost sometimes have to take it longer so that you know you've worked the process as well mm-hmm. as you can. And that that moment where it signed and the money hit my account was wonderful. <laughs> but it was. But I have to tell you, it was more relief than joy mm-hmm. because at that point I was pretty burnt out already, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. It was more like, oh my gosh, I I did it. I delivered for my family, for my investors. I don't have to, you know, worry at the same level about people's paychecks and mm-hmm. their payroll and mm-hmm. their, you know, it was just more relief yeah. because of the way, you know, just the the journey. But as you said, it was just beginning because I had an earnout and I had milestones to make during my earnout, mm-hmm. and so and they were aggressive. So. Right. I needed to, but that was part of the premise of getting the value of the company was like we said it was, you know, it really should be at this level. Um, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll go there, but you have to, you have to make it in the earn out and prove that it's that level, right. which is, which is fair. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So, um, and so, you know, that year, the year after uh, the acquisition, the 2014, 2015 was actually even more intense in a different way than the year before. Mm-hmm. because it was all about I've got a goal and Revelation at the time had two or three salespeople mm-hmm. the first thing I had to do was get 30 
plus salespeople up up and running. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was like, oh my goodness, this is a different different level of mm-hmm. execution. And but that was part of the education is like, oh man, yeah, this is what it looks like when you're at you know the next level up. Wow. It's like, and it exposed also what was holding us back as a mm-hmm. company. It's like we we didn't have that 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 mm-hmm. rigorous training right. and understanding of how you get somebody ramped up. Mm-hmm. And as I tell people, a lot of times your growth limitation is in your sales curve, right? And your mm-hmm. sales curve is two things, getting your salespeople able to sell to the level they need to and mm-hmm. getting your customers down the path. And mm-hmm. the longer it takes your salespeople to sell, to get mm-hmm. up that curve, the longer your curve is going to be. And that's mm-hmm. that's like everything. Well, let me switch gears just a little bit because I, I don't want us to run out of time talking about what you're doing right now. I think that really sets the stage for the deep experience you have on the entrepreneur journey and some of the pains. You say the, high, the highs, the lows, um, what I call the stunning discomfort, um, uh, the continual <laughs> stunning discomfort. But with those learnings, now you're actually coaching executives and you're really coming in and helping people understand a strategy really for their C-suite life <laughs> is you know how I would see it. So tell me a little bit about Steve August now as a coach. What, what, what's really your vision for that? I've really come to... So appreciate and value this journey that, and the way that it happened for me, and the emotional toll it took on me and the people around me, I realized was something that I really wanted to help other founders with, especially visionary founders, because the way I look at entrepreneurship now is that it's really at its core a personal development platform, one of the most amazing personal development platforms ever created, and what that means is. Whatever happens at the entrepreneurial level as you move your your business forward, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, and and all three are sure to happen, uh, it's going to move you forward in your personal development and transformation. And I found that when you look at it like that, then you're able to get a little bit of just that little bit of separation that helps you kind of stay more level and more grounded. And so what I do is I make people aware of a number of things. First of all, I have that the background in terms of, okay, here are the nuts and bolts and the blocking and tackling that's going to need to happen. And here's where your company is right now from that point of view, and here's where it needs to be. But so often, it's the founder that needs to gain the awareness that they have to make a transformation. Mm-hmm. They have to change into a, a different kind of leader for each phase of their company. Mm-hmm. And they have to achieve that growth. If they don't achieve that growth, they're their leadership team isn't going to be empowered to do their transformation and do their work, and that just cascades through the team. Right. So right. to to me, it's a cascade of transformations mm-hmm. that happen. Well, you I know you do a lot of different things, but let's just focus on one for a minute because right now you're doing uh, kind of mini retreats for for the C suite. So tell me a little bit about that. Visionary founders can come and do what? Yeah, so this is something I started this year. Uh, it's called Disconnect, Reconnect. And what I found over time is that we never get a a break, a stimulation break, a mm-hmm. input break. Our notifications are, are going. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they said what it was is the new Apple iPhone operating system mm-hmm. will, will actually let you know how many notifications you got during a day. Mm. And she said she got between 400 and 1,000 notifications oh my during her day. Mm-hmm. And it was like, there's so much input, there's so much attention fatigue, mm-hmm. and so much task switching that we, 
we stop being able to really step back, breathe, get space, get perspective to see what we really need to do and how we really want this to go, mm-hmm. you know? And so what I created was a four day retreat where I literally take people's phones away. Mm-hmm. Like you're not coming <laughs> and I'm clear about this up front. Like if, if that's, you know, people who don't want to do that, don't come. But the people who do want to do that, who, who see the value in that, mm-hmm. we go through a very specific progression. We go, we take the phones away. We go out into nature. We spend a day doing uh, a highly presencing activity like whitewater rafting. Like mm-hmm. you cannot concentrate on almost <laughs> anything else when you're on a class four rapid. Right. Like you are present. And yeah. that's part of the idea. And we're in this spectacular nature uh, setting. So even that is very deliberate because the, they've studied it that the sense of awe actually changes how you pr- process problems and challenges and your openness to, to, to change. Yeah. And we have specific quiet time and journaling where people are given the permission to do nothing, mm. which is, uh, you know, sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And what happens is in this sequence is that the brain just gets, gets that break mm-hmm. and people start noticing they're like, Oh, I can put three thoughts together. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not reflexively grabbing from my phone. I'm not, my attention is staying and I'm starting to understand things in mm-hmm. a different way. And everybody brings a challenge that they want to process. Yeah, and I can see where this is, you know, this is really interesting and appealing to the C-suite in the sense that, you know, a lot of them would like to go on a retreat, but they don't necessarily want to make that leap and go on something that might they might consider, for lack of a better word, to be woo-woo. You know, whereas you're coming from the experience of the high-pressure C-suite, you understand that world. And you understand what, you know, what transformation, you know, uh, transformational leadership looks like, but you still need to come back into that quiet. And so instead of maybe going on a yoga retreat or, you know, something that might be, uh, you know, really pushing yourself out of your own, you know, type of behavioral practices, you can still bring them into something that is awe, wonder, silence, reflection, but still with a with a connection with them about just you, that you understand the demands of C-suite life. Yeah. I mean, the goal is, for me, is is like, is to get the space and to give them a transformational breakthrough mm. that they can take mm-hmm. back and start working on. Right. And that's part of the follow-up process that we, we integrate as well. Yeah. I talked with someone who has been, uh, to a couple people who have been on your retreat, and it, yeah, it's not, it's not really changing the way of thinking so much as really the retreat changing the way of behaving. Like it's actually a little bit more somatic, it's a little bit more embodied, you know, not just like, okay, we go to a lot of conferences and, and try and change our mindset, but to shift your body and the way that you respond to messages, the way that you kind of even the, uh, you know, you talk about the roller coaster of entrepreneurship, we all seize up and have the anxiety, you know, even trying to change just these, these body reactions, to what's going on around us, I can see how that could be very, very helpful. Yeah, a lot of the, the folks on the retreat just said being in the Columbia River Gorge where we held the held this one with 11,000-foot peaks and this mm. amazing river and just, like, mind-blowing scenery, they just all of a sudden realized so much more perspective on the dimension of their, their challenges. Right. They're just like, okay, this thing's been here for eons and millions <laughs> of years, and I'm like, okay. And it helped them kind of go – and yeah. and let that breath out because mm-hmm. you know and I'm sure you felt this as entrepreneurs mm-hmm. we're always holding yeah we're always holding it in mm-hmm. like you know something happens something hits where we're in action mm-hmm. and it's rare that we just really take that breath and just let it right. all the way out yeah it's super hard 
It is. And it's, it's definitely learned. And it's also something that we do better at different times. Sometimes we need mm-hmm. somebody else's help to do it, for sure. Well, I want people to go visit out. You can go visit steveaugustcoaching.com. And it's a great site. I know you'll really enjoy it. So check him out there. He's obviously available on LinkedIn. That's usually where we're chatting. Um, But just real quick to end, I want to just do a quick rapid fire, get people to kind of know a little bit more about who you are. So I'm going to run through real quick your favorite podcast, app, book, or blog. And uh, let's get to know a little bit about how you think. So are are you you listening to podcasts a lot or not? Uh, I'm a... um... What would you call it? Inconsistent listener. I go through. Well, I I go through. I find one and I listen to the listen the hell out of it, and mm-hmm. then it's sort of like finding a, a Netflix series or something like that. And then I have to like float around until I, I get another one that I really <laughs> okay. like. Okay, what's your most recent binge? Uh, how I built this. Oh yeah, it's good. It's good. I just listened to the one about uh, the gal who uh, created Stitch Fix. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. But he always he has a great way of of. of uh, capturing their journey and it's yeah. always interesting to see he always has one moment where he goes mm-hmm. and you just did that you just thought to do that and right. like where did that come from <laughs> <laughs> very cool what about an app is there just a go-to app you have on your phone or a new one yes mm-hmm. i'm really excited about this app and it's, it's hysterical it's, it's called rpat mm-hmm. and it is an app to help you control your kid's phone like to like say they can only be on social media so many times a day or whatever, right. so many hours, and it takes the app off the phone, like mm-hmm. when it's done. Mm-hmm. I nice. put it on my phone. You did? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so now every day uh-huh. uh, from 7 at 7 p.m., it takes off like Facebook, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Instagram, Slack, all my socials. It takes off my web browser um, and it leaves basically text, phone, mm-hmm. maps, and Lyft, like my family logistics. Right. And it doesn't turn them back on until 6 a.m. the next morning. Yeah. I can't remember where I heard you say that. Was that on a blog that you, you wrote? I, I put it up on LinkedIn to LinkedIn, show people. LinkedIn, that's where it was. I saw was, that you had, you had written that. I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, it, And I do it for all day Saturday. And it's mm-hmm. amazing how boring your phone gets as soon as those <laughs> things disappear off of it and how interesting the rest of everything gets. Right. Actually pick your head up. So that's pretty good. Well, is there a book you're reading right now or is there a book that you just kind of always come back to? You're just an, It's a natural default to re-get things going? Or uh, There's a lot of different books. But the book I, I just finished – yesterday on the way back from that Boston mm-hmm. event was Traction, a book okay. called Traction. Yeah. And it, it's a really, it's, it's been gaining a lot of steam in entrepreneurial circles. Mm-hmm. It's made by the, uh, written by the guy, one of the people who, who founded uh, Entrepreneur Organization, EO. Mm-hmm. And it's really about creating an operating system for your company mm-hmm. and, and how to like create systems and processes. And, you know, there's a mishmash of different ideas that people take in especially first-time founders, about how they want to run their company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no cohesive set of, like, here's how you do cover all these things. And this really lays it out. And in ways that, that, that agrees with, with a lot of thinking I have been doing as well. And I'm, I've been talking to a number of, of folks in both in the market research and outside the market research space, mm-hmm. and, and people are saying they're getting amazing results with it. Mm-hmm. So that's something that uh, I just finished and um, – it's it's really intriguing way to approach this issue mm-hmm. uh, of how do you how do you actually set up the how you run your company because nobody actually 
has had that kind of systematically the same way before. Yeah, because that concept, you know, like, you know, being able to kind of find that one thing, get sticky and, and build traction. I think that's a great conversation. You and I seem to kind of kind of skirt around that, that conversation a lot in terms of how does marketing play into that and how does growth mindset and, you know, more to what you do with the coaching side of it, how does that visionary founder, how does their mindset, how does their reactions, how does that actually, like, the focus on getting one one piece of traction going, um, right. you know, how does that affect things long term? So um, you you mentioned a blog a little earlier. Is there a blog that you that you follow quite a bit or is that not your, your, your mode of, you know, in taking information? Yeah, lately it's been more LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's sort of like everybody's blog. Right. <laughs> so uh, so I've been following you. I follow a number of other coaches. Anna Sui is one of my favorite coaches. David Paul has mm-hmm. some, some great uh, things that he's doing. Yeah, from Engages. Uh, yeah. Engages, yeah. And so I just use LinkedIn as, as sort of my, my blog aggregator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it really is serving as that anymore with the articles. You know, anything I do put on my blog, I put out there on LinkedIn as well. Well, you need to go check this out. Check out steveaugustcoaching.com. Find him on LinkedIn. Ask him a few questions. I know I have a lot of listeners who are in that, uh, oh, that, you know, wonderland of, of, you know, should I sell? Should I not? Should I scale for myself? Should I scale for, you know, for an eventual exit? These are great questions for him. But if you're in the C-suite and you're just feeling overwhelmed and uh, as a visionary, you feel like you need some direction, you should definitely go check out the steveaugustcoaching.com and see what he has on offer. But Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been really a pleasure. Thank you, Priscilla. I've really enjoyed being here. Awesome. So from all of us here at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.